This is War Room Moments, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and most relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. War Room Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Hey, welcome to this episode of War Room Moments. My name is Jason Miller. I am your podcast host today. And today I have a great guest, the CEO of Cup Royale. And I'm telling you what, this is going to be interesting conversation today um, because this is a first for me to hear uh, this kind of business model. Um, And welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jason. Yeah, just take a couple of couple of 30 seconds or so and introduce yourself to the audience. I'm Ralph Brown. I uh, currently hold four world records in extreme power boating. And so I'm the guy that's putting together the first ever, first annual powerboat race all the way around the world. So I'm excited about it. That's pretty amazing. Really, really amazing. Well, you know, first and foremost, before we get into like really discussing Cup Royale, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Not really. No. No. Now, my dad was probably 30 years ahead of his time. When I was a kid, I lived in Grand Turk, Turks and Caicos. Uh, My dad was in the Air Force. He was the commanding officer of the Air Force detachment in Grand Turk. I found out later the detachment was one person, my dad. Um, but then the Navy has a landing strip down there and a dock. And so every once in a while, the Air Force needed to land an aircraft on Grand Turk, you know, Turks and Caicos. And um, they found out that the, Air, the, the Navy wasn't going to run and help out the Air Force too much. So they decided they wanted a permanent officer down there to have a good relationship with the Navy. Maybe they could get some help from the Navy if they ever needed one. So my dad had that job. And so he bought a bunch of land down there. Um, the land I believe is now Sandals, but he spent Hmm. forever trying to find the funding to open his own hotel. And nobody thought that, you know, Turks and Caicos, Grand Turk would ever be a good tourist resort. And my dad was, no, you know, this is 30, 40 years ago. And, uh, anyways, but that's it really. We're not so much family of entrepreneurs, just right. Right. Um, well, it's interesting. How did you how did you get in this uh, in this space of creating Cup Royale and what led you here? Well, I'm actually a, a school teacher uh, with a math and science background, taught physics um, and high, other high school science courses. And then um, I left that to go into the financial services industry and I learned how money works. And the, so much from it. But after that, I hit a rock in a boat and I broke the motor and I just got pissed off. We can put a man on the moon. We can't make a boat that would go over the rocks, you know, run in really shallow water and still be seaworthy. So over a period of a couple of years, it became a stewing point for me. And my wife was in a bad car wreck and she was disabled and bedridden for a long time. And so I found a place to hide from my problems and how to make a better boat. Never thought I would do anything with it. And one, one day, my wife cornered me and said, either do it or shut up. 
you're driving everybody in the family nuts. And, and that's, that's the short version. It's a lot longer explanation than that. She thought I was going to shut up. She went to bed. I walked and prayed to about two o'clock in the morning, got on the internet and formed a company. Okay. Woke up the next morning, told her I did that. She was not a happy camper. But within two weeks, she completely cycled, completely circled around and said, man, you should do this. You should really do this. And so uh, I raised a couple million dollars, developed a boat that could run in this much water, literally, and was seaworthy enough to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Now, it didn't happen the first time. I actually had 15 failures, 15 boats that I built that I couldn't get to do what I wanted to. So I would completely rip them apart and rebuild them again. The 16th time I got what I wanted. And then there's probably another 30, 40 modifications that I went through in that process that I don't count as a major rebuild. And so um, I, I really was wrong a lot. I was wrong a lot more than I was right. But in that process of being wrong all so many times and only right once, okay, I learned what the whole process was. And I learned not, not just um, what, what everybody else was doing, but what was better. And when the uh, vice president of the largest boat company in the world showed up in my office, and wanted me to show him everything I was doing. Of course, I would not show him everything I was doing. But that said something to me that they really want to know, know about. Later on, I was stupid enough to show people. And, I, you know, I learned that that lesson by the School of Hard Knocks. Um, there are people out here that are not as honest as you'd like them to be. But anyways, that's just the way it is. But anyway, so I got excited about this. And in that process, I found out a way to get a larger boat to use less fuel. Now, most of us have no idea how bad the fuel economy of boats are. But if you get in your car, assuming you have a gasoline operated car, not an electric car, but a gasoline operated car, internal combustion engine, and you're going down the highway at uh, 60, 65 miles an hour, you're probably gonna get 20 to 35 miles to the gallon, somewhere in that area. Unless you've got a big truck and you get a little bit less, you know. But anyways, somewhere in an area, 25 to 35 miles to the gallon, you take a boat that can run the same distance as carrying the fuel that can go the same distance and make it go 60 miles an hour. You're lucky to get two miles to the gallon. In fact, the vast majority don't even get one mile to the gallon. So if you look at a ship, the big ships use 400 gallons to go one mile. And so, I mean, it's just the big ones. Most of them is a lot less than that, but the, the real big ones. That. So I discovered a method to make a boat to operate on a lot less fuel. And I got to, to just in the middle of, you know, like you stumbled into it. I didn't come up with it, but I did come up with it, but it wasn't looking for that when I came up with it. And so I started researching around. I heard about this guy, um, Pete, uh, what is Pete's last name? I can't think on top of my head, but he had a, um, he's Pete, Pete, it doesn't matter, but he did Earth Race. Um, and they went after the fastest boat to go around the world. And they failed the first time to break the record, which was 75 days. And then they tried a second time and they ended up getting it down to 61 days for the fastest power boats to go around the world. And I got thinking, well, shoot, I'll just break that record when I'm ready to produce this bigger boat. They can operate on a lot less fuel. That's it's an easy record to break. Um, it's hard to fill the money together to build it. 
but uh, the easy record, as far as what I'm looking at, a very easy record to break. And the more I looked at this, the more obvious it became to me that it is easy. I mean, I did a lot of research. And so, um, you know, and the more research, the more I realized that we should make this a race. Not just one boat going around the world to break the record, but a race that we run every single year, all the way around the planet. But if it's nonstop racing around the planet, that would get boring. People wouldn't want to watch that. But if you broke it into 20 different legs, like the Tour de France is, you have all these different legs. And then if you, when you got to the, each location, you had a, a race, a local race in that harbor or along the shoreline. And the more I study this, I realize that the crowds that show up for boat racing are humongous. Um, if you go to look at the, the largest stadiums ever built, 100% of the largest stadiums ever built, ever built, they're not built for soccer. They're not built for football. They're not built for golf. They're not built for tennis. They're built for racing, 100%. If you look at the largest NFL stadium, 88,500 people. That's the Meadowlands just outside of New York. And 88, it's not always full. 88,500 people, New York City. Go to the Indianapolis 500. 257,000 people. Three times as big. And then when they have overflow crowds in there, over 300,000 people. Okay, I mean, it's a lot bigger. Um, but 100% of the largest stadiums, the largest television audience in the world. Okay. Here in the United States, we watch football. Well, we love football. About 40 million Americans watch it. They watch two or three games a week. For, you know, that's, that's a lot of people. And that's why they pay the NFL $8.2 billion a year for their television and media rights, because 40 million people watch it two or three times a week. 400 million watch Formula One. Let me say that again. 400 million. Watch Formula One. The world loves racing. We Americans oh, think yeah. we're four percent of the world's population, so we think yeah. if it's not going on here, it's just not important. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's there's a ton of value in. I mean, I used to be a big NASCAR fan back in the day. I was a huge NASCAR fan. Followed NASCAR. Loved NASCAR. Um, and it is, it's a huge, huge audience that follows it. Right. And you get into the world of like, uh, sailing and things of that nature. Right. I mean, I know people that follow that really closely, oh, um, absolutely. but I want to back up for a minute because what happened with the first boat you created, what happened with that? The flat bottom boats that oh the flat I mean, you mean water. you're talking about crossing the oh I set the world record for the smallest power boat to ever cross the Atlantic Ocean in the history of mankind. Um, oh. A lot of people, you know, you can't make a boat that can run in this much water that's still safe on the high seas. It's just it just goes in the face of all naval architecture there is, and they just <laughs> it just that doesn't work. You can't. You know, a lot of people told me it couldn't be done. So we did all of our calculations and figured it out, and you know. Um, I took one from Tampa, Florida to Germany, uh, 8,312 miles. Now, I drugged my older brother with me. My mom wasn't too happy. 
So you think I'm going to lose one? That's okay. You know, Ralph, he's expendable. But Ralph and Bob, <laughs> you can't that's lose both funny. of them. I get my brother yeah. Bob to go with me. Um, he, he He's really a great, great teammate yeah. in these kind of things. Are, are these boats on the market now? Um, I've they... sold about 50 of them. The U.S. Army's bought a couple of them. Okay. National, Park Services, National Park Service has bought a couple of them for rangers. Uh, the mm-hmm. Fish and Wildlife Service has bought a couple of them for rangers. Um, NOAA has bought one. A couple of other countries have bought them. Um, and I guess I've sold about maybe 25 to fishermen, local fishermen, mostly professional mm-hmm. fishermen. Um, I got a guy called me this morning, just, just an hour ago or so. He has one of my older ones. He said, man, my neighbor wants one just like it. He wants me to sell my boat. So no way. I'll sell my kid, but I'm not selling my boat. Best <laughs> <laughs> boat I ever had. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, so they're not really commercially available at this point in time. Uh, we, we, right. we didn't raise enough money to, to really go into manufacturing. So we built about 51 offs. And um, we will be going into manufacturing on the backside of the Cup Royale. Uh, it's, it's all kind of patched together in the in the, in the whole package. Uh, but sure. if you look at all the boat manufacturers in the world, there's about five or six thousand of them. There's only two or three that are worth over a billion dollars. But if you go look at all the international sports like this, hundred percent are worth more than a billion dollars. So you right. kind of think, well, what's the likelihood of succeeding? You know, in the in the in the goal. Now, my goal, which sounds outrageous to most people. Because they haven't done the research, they haven't looked at all the numbers and stuff. But if you look at all the numbers, once we get off, get this off the ground, it should be worth 30, 40 billion. Um, realistically, it probably won't. It'll probably be worth only about three billion, uh, you know, after about we get it fully operational. But fully operational, just from franchise sales alone, we should you know, turn the revenues that would justify a 20 to, uh, 20 to 1 price to earnings ratio, which should justify a market cap of in excess of three billion, and so just I mean, just looking at that, that's yeah. um, kind of interesting. So well, anyway, it I'm is. It's, it's 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 pretty fascinating. Just listening to you, talk, I can because I can just feel the passion coming out of you, and uh, that's uh, that's a really good thing for sure. But what I'm really really curious to hear from you is, you know. What have been some of your major struggles that you've had trying to spin this thing up? Oh, by far, the, the, the biggest struggle is raising capital. And the real mm-hmm. issue about that is having people believe, you know, right. when I said I'm going to make a boat that can run in this much water and was seaworthy, people laughed at me. Okay. Starting with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had that happen before too. So. Okay, um, she, 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 she's um, but they don't they don't they don't laugh anymore so much about it. It's, I mean, she's been on the boat running just running across super shallow water, and there's yeah. no question about it. I took it to Germany, you know. Um, I took it through the remnants of two hurricanes and a tropical storm. Um, oh wow! And so, and Her Majesty Search and Rescue came out and filmed us in waves. I don't know, maybe 17, 20 foot, okay, in that area. Um, just big old waves. And so we were fine. They left us 40 miles out in the middle of the ocean. Okay, <laughs> we were between uh, the Shetland Islands and the Orkney Islands, uh, about 40, 50 miles northeast of Scotland. And they right. filmed this for a few minutes and they left. Eh, 
they'll take care of it. <laughs> it was kind of fun. Yeah. But, so yeah, it's what what kind of I mean, I know you said your your biggest like struggle here is raising capital, right? Oh by what, far. What is the capital feed that needs to go into something like this? Well, I filled out paperwork this morning for a gentleman that, that wanted me to get him the documents based on a hundred night. Now that's mm-hmm. way more than we were looking for. We were looking for for 18 million, but he basically they said they didn't want to do anything less than a hundred million. And they wanted us to have more money than we needed. So we don't run out of money. So I filled out a pile of paperwork for them. I don't know where that's going to go. But we're really putting right. together a, a package based on $18 million. Uh, It's a big boulder. See, with a lot of people are out there looking for a guy that can generate small, small revenues first. The problem with us, or should it problem or good thing, good or bad, however it is, it's a great big boulder. And it takes a lot more energy to move that great big boulder. But as yeah. soon as it moves... The momentum is instantaneous. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous. It jumps right up to an exit strategy automatically. And it, it just drives, I mean, as far as that goes, it just moves quickly. And so um, it's, you know, it's a lot bigger. So really, uh, the minimum we need is about $6 million. And then the first revenues we'll generate will be in excess of $6 million. I've got a contract signed with um, Sincel Energy. Uh, to bring us $12 million in sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sincel is a company that makes synthetic diesel fuel uh, from trees. And they convert trees into synthetic diesel. They're in the middle of closing a larger transaction. And hopefully it closes pretty quick. Um, but they want to be, they, by the time the race is, you know, really fully operational, it'll be three years out. And that's about when they really need peak publicity. So it, it kind of, it, it, it matches with them and they like the idea of, 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 you know, I like, I don't know. I like to consider myself as an environmentalist, but a practical environmentalist. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is well, these guys that fly around in their private jets and tell everybody they need a smaller car because you know, the, the, the world's getting hot. I, I look at that and I just, it just makes me sick in my stomach. Um, but I like to be looking at every which way possible to improve fuel economy, to make the world a better place. And, um, you know, if, if, if shipping burns 93 billion, I can't even comprehend, 93 billion gallons of oil every year. That, you, know, you can't get it back. You know, right. that, there's, there's a couple of ships that have been built with uh, hydrogen, not too many. A couple of them built with natural gas, not too many. The first one that was built with natural gas blew up. That's that makes me feel I mean, caught fire. Anyhow, it makes me feel really safe about. I'm going to write on that one. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, but for the most part, you know, I, I want to see better hydrodynamics. I want to see better things that would make the, the the fuel industry, the fuel consumption of the shipping industry, reduced. I mean, it's six percent of the entire energy on the planet is consumed by shipping. Six percent. That doesn't sound like a lot till you look at the whole planet. And the actual propulsion system of most of the shipping industry really hasn't changed much since 1957, 64 years. Uh, That's older than me. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) it really hasn't changed a lot. So we like to see that, you know, some some good practical environmentalism done. And I I like to be practical in what we're doing. And so. uh, It just makes sense if you can save a little bit of fuel here and there. 
But I guess the, the biggest issue is raising the capital and uh, not only that's raising the capital, but uh, also the um, just getting believed. People right. believe me. When I got ready to cross, I set forward, I made 21 ocean voyages. Um, and pretty much every single one of them, I had people telling me it could not be done. It's physically not possible. And I pull out my calculator and I start punching my numbers in. And they punched in whatever calculator they got from wherever they got. And it turned out every single time my calculator was right. Okay. It's not that my calculator is special. It's pretty much the same as anything else. It's a regular calculator. But <laughs> I did the math based on the information I had. And they did the math based on the information they have. Okay. And so we spent a couple million dollars and a couple of years of my life doing research and development in hydrodynamic technology. And so, of course, my numbers are going to be different than theirs. Okay, yeah. that's what we did all the research for. And so, consequently, it turned out in every case, my numbers were right. And um, so, we ended up setting four world records in the process. And, you know, it's kind of, actually, when I got to Europe, I got a, a phone call back um, from this famous, I can't remember his name now, this famous, uh, he, he runs a, a, a big cruise line. Um, he contacted me in London and apologized because he wrote me a nasty letter <laughs> before I took off about how I was couldn't, you know, it can't be done. No one's ever done it before. And he was just really nasty. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he called me up um, in London and, uh, you know, congratulated me and apologized. Nobody else did. Not a, <laughs> none of the other ones did. <laughs> In, in fact, the ones that were really nasty, oh, they come back and say, oh, I was never nasty to you. I always believed you could do it. What? Mm. I remember <laughs> you telling me the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. Yeah. You got to love naysayers, right? They, um, uh, they're just like people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always people in the world that, you know, I'm a, I'm a grand design guy. Think big guy. I want everybody to say I can't do it because then I'll prove you wrong. Right. That's that, that I'm the same way you are. You and I are cut from the same cloth when it comes to that for sure. Because in my own company, a lot of people said that'll never work and uh, that'll never work. You'll never make money. Nobody else does it that way. Why would you do that? It's like, Cause I want to be different and I want to do things my own way. Right. And, you know, here we are, like, even in my own company, here we are six years later and uh, going strong as hell. Right. So it's like, everybody said, why, why would you do that? And um, my answer has always been this, I'm disrupting the market and I'm pissing everybody off. <laughs> I never intended to, to make anybody mad. <laughs> I I, I'm not trying to disrupt the market. I'm just trying to get, you know, I see a huge marketplace mm -hmm. of, of global sports. And right, and it's all taken, but right off to the side, I see this channel that's completely empty. And I'm going, gee, I mean, nobody's doing this. Yeah. let's move it right to my center path and we're just going to follow this path because it makes all the sense in the world to yeah. me it's just it's like sam walmart okay he had these ideas on how to run a bunch of small stores that and these are all originally a bunch of very small stores 
And he was going to sell things at almost at, at very small profit margin. Um, and he, he took it to uh, the company he worked for, the Butler Brothers. And the Butler Brothers told him he's nuts. You have to have this margin here. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. And no, 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 you can do this with a very small margin. Um, so, you know, he quit. Started his own company. All right, his first store went bankrupt, Bellia. So people that knew him, obviously, obviously Sam Walton doesn't know any better. He's not very mm. smart. Well, he went back to it. He, he, he took the lessons he learned because he went belly up and applied them. And he copied more people here and there, gathered more information. And he did, people said, you can't do this. He did it. I mean, mm-hmm. big time. Look at Walt Disney. He went bankrupt. Okay. Um, you know, and Art Linkletter uh, said that he called um, our, Walt Disney, called him up and asked him to invest in Disney. And he said, it ain't going to happen. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> okay. I mean, mm. so, you know, uh, mm. guess what? It did happen. He had a dream. He saw yeah. a vision for where it can be. And there are investors. I mean, investors that invested in Sam Walton's company, 14,000 to one. He had 98 people that invested $1,000. Okay. Each one of them got back $14 million. Now, that's before you start counting the dividends and the additional growth after they went public. Right. When you include all of that, they made a lot more than 14,000 to one. I mean, that's out. I mean, that's huge. Uh, I don't have any dreams of my investors making 14,000 to one. <laughs> wrong. I mean, then, you know, um, but it's just huge. But, you know, like yeah. you, you mentioned NASCAR earlier. Bill France went around and asked everybody to invest in his company. Nobody would. Nobody would. Finally, he got a sponsor for $100,000 in 1949, I think it was. I have to go back and look at the. I did the math on this that that hundred thousand dollars is probably about three million in today's dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. he got a sponsor, and that was the money necessary to create what we now know as NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's a hundred thousand dollars. It's worth five billion today, and so um, that's a fifty thousand to one return. Fifty thousand to one, and not fourteen thousand, but. 50, five, zero. Now, when you yeah. do the um, do the math behind it to do the uh, time, basically the time management of money, cost of uh, the time on it, it comes out to um, about 1,500 to one. Still a good return. 1,500 to one. Maybe, uh, you know, say, basically we need to bigger say. than all the inflation and everything else. That's a right. good return. 1,500 yeah, to a, one. It's a hell of a and, That's NASCAR. Return. What is it? Right. Cars going round and round a track. Turn right. left. When you get done turning left, turn left again. When you get done, <laughs> turn left. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but it's, it's big business. It's big it's business. It's the entertainment value of it. It is. That's what right? it is. And so, yeah. you know, when the economy crashes, um, remember this sports continue on because everybody wants to be entertained. And I, I never realized this until the last time that the market crashed back in 2008, 2009. You remember back when the house, the real estate market just went. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a pretty big, big deal for sure. Everybody was you know, hurting in so many different ways. Then when they gave a rod a pay raise in the middle of that, I'm going, mm. "What pay raise? <laughs> you got a pay raise? I mean, <laughs> how is it possible they give? And about that other ball players were getting pay raises. People couldn't find jobs. 
couldn't couldn't give away a house. I mean, it was bad. You remember how yeah. bad it was? Oh yeah, I yeah. remember and quite well. They gave these football players and baseball players a pay raise because <laughs> but people still want to be entertained. And the worst yeah. economy is the more people want to be entertained. Yeah. And that's what sports are, the entertainment. Right. And that's what we are, Cup Royale. We're in sports and entertainment opportunity. And so yeah. I don't know if the economy is going to crash again or not. If it does, um, I'm hoping to be fully operational and just keep plugging because the television and media rights is where the money's at, you know? Right. And, and as far as that goes, and there's a lot more. You can you make money off of all kinds of paraphernalia, Tickets, sure. but tickets are not the big thing. Most people think the tickets are the big thing. It's not. There's so many other things that are more than ticket sales. That I mean, of course, let me wrong. These stadiums, they want the ticket sales, no doubt about it. But they, all of that stuff, there's there's more to it than just the ticket sales. And so, right. Anyways, I, I'm yeah, sorry, I, I get a, to rattling. You know, one well, of the questions. I, yeah. Well, 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 you're passionate about it, and that's a good thing. Um, for sure. Well, so to kind of transition this whole thing um, and kind of wrap wrap things up here, I always like to ask this question. And it's if you could have picked someone to be here, anybody dead or alive, mentor, friend, whatever the case may be, who would have you chose to be here? I would pick the second king of Israel, excuse me, the third king of Israel, Solomon. Okay. Um, he was the first king to live in peace. His daddy, David, was basically a great warrior, but he was a wise man. Problem is, he didn't follow his own wisdom, um, but he was a very, very wise man, and he managed a lot of money, a lot of things. And the countries, if you, if you take a minute and study that part of the world, um, this is right on the, the peak of the, the Arab Peninsula and where it connects to Egypt, okay, of Africa. And the armies from Africa that would get mad at the Iraqi and the Syrian and the Iranian Okay, the, the Chaldees, all of those others, they would go marching through Israel at each, you know, right through the middle of Israel and, mm -hmm. and go attack the other one. And then the other one would march right through the middle of Israel, go back and attack the other one. So when you march your armies through there, the army's got to eat. Okay, and they would just basically ransack Israel in the process. And um, basically, uh, David and Solomon brought peace to that part of the world, and probably the only peace that's ever been there. But he was very wise. And, and how he dealt with people and did so many things. Now, he screwed up in the fact that his son didn't follow what he taught his son because Solomon violated his own advice. Uh, but, you know, he had like a thousand wives. His, his own advice, which he gave his son, was get one wife and always be satisfied with her. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I have one wife. I've only been married once in my life. And uh, yeah. she's beautiful and and, and I'm very grateful to have him. And yeah. so, um, but anyways, but Solomon did so many wise things. I want wisdom. Like yeah. he did anything in my life, I want wisdom. Knowing when to do the right thing, knowing when not to do something, uh, knowing how to operate everything. And so I always want to borrow wisdom from as many people as I can, read as many stories, learn as much as I can. But uh, I would say Solomon would be the guy. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, well, hey, how do people connect with you to support your cause, what you're doing, so on and so forth? How do people reach out to you? What's the well, best way? website is www.cuproyale.com. Very original. 
<laughs> but cuproyale.com. I'm Ralph, R-A-L-P-H, at cuproyale.com. And my phone, which is actually on my website, okay, is 352-346-2365. 352-346-2365. Um, any other questions? Awesome. No, I think what you're doing is pretty cool. It's uh, Before I got on here, I was on your website, and I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. Can't wait to hear about it. And uh, thanks for being on the show. I always say we got 168 hours a week. Um, and there's a lot of other places you could have chose to been, um, but you chose to be here with, with us here in the war room for at least this 40 minutes of your life. So appreciate you taking the time to do that. Well, I'm extremely grateful that you took the time to talk with me yeah. and uh, awesome. give me a chance to share my dream a little bit. Yeah, it's a great dream. And, uh, you know, just keep after it. Like I always say, dream it, believe it and go achieve it. There you go. Dream it, believe there it, and go cheat it. Sounds All like right. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for joining us on today's episode of War Room Moments. My name is Jason Miller. I'm your podcast host. And as I just said, go dream it, believe it, and achieve it. It's Jason Miller signing off. Thanks for listening to War Room Moments with your host, Jason Miller. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.